0: listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. If you have your Bible, if you have your tablet or electronic... Bible app, whatever you've got, I want to invite you to turn with us to the book of Haggai. It's in the Old Testament. It's one of the last 12 books in the Old Testament. This particular book, uh, written by a man who's one of the 12 minor prophets, not because he was small or because his, uh, his role was minor, but just because of the length of the writing that is attached to his name, he's considered minor as far as the space he took up in the Hebrew Bible and certainly the space he's taking up in our Bible bound or app. It's not taking up very much space at all in your app, but nevertheless... He's still one of the minor prophets. Last week, we discovered that Haggai came to the children of Israel, but more specifically, the nation of Judah, after they had returned from 70 years of captivity back to the homeland, and they came back by God's sovereign plan in order to rebuild and rebuild the temple and restore worship in Israel, because others were going to come back in, in in different, like a resettlements, if you will. And God's desire was that worship be reestablished, so that when the people were fully back in the land, as much as they would be, they would be prepared to worship their God again according to his prescription. Also, God was making preparations for the few centuries to come when his chosen one would be born in that city or in that region and be ministering in and around that region and city. And ultimately the temple was gonna be very important to the ministry of God the Son who would come and be God's not only representative, but God in the flesh. And so Haggai was a prophet that had come to those who had come first back into the land, under God's plan, under God's sovereignty. The people had rebuilt the altar and they had celebrated the sacrifices that that went along with the feast that was most closely related to that time. And they had restored the foundation of the temple. But because of some local pushback, some local opposition and things that were circumstances contrary to their comfort zone, they set aside the temple building project in order to work on some other things. And that setting aside was a total of 16 years that they had stopped doing what God had sent them there to accomplish. And while they were on a hiatus from God's Building project, they were working on restoring their own homes, which wasn't a bad thing in and of itself, but because they were putting all of their focus on themselves instead of what God had called them to do, they were in the wrong. And so, after 16 years of disobedience, God sent Haggai and another prophet by the name of Zechariah to come and encourage the people to get back engaged in the project that God had sent them there for. God invited them. Them, encouraged them and showed them how it was in their best interest to simply get back on track with him and re engage in the building process. And he did that in the sixth month of the second year of the Persian king Darius. The message came on the first day, but it was not until the 24th day of the month that the people began building. That's where we left off last week. This week, we will jump into chapter number two, and we'll hear the second message that God sent to them who were there rebuilding the temple. Now, in order to do that, I want to give you an illustration in your mind that I just saw this morning. How many of you have ever seen these street artists that take chalk or some kind of, of sand, and they will make on the sidewalk... These 3D images that actually look like tunnels are going down into the sidewalk. In fact, I saw one just this morning. There was a guy on, it was just an ad, I think it was, on Facebook. Guy was drawing these things out with with sand, and then he would position himself in it to make it look like he was going down into the tunnel, and then he would take a broom, and he'd just run it around, and the, the dust would move, and you would go, Oh, man, there's not a hole. There's not some." well hole down in the middle of the sidewall oh there's not some ladder that he's standing on or wall that he's about to fall off of but the way he was designing that made it appear from our perspective as though he was in some form of danger but when he whisked the dirt or the sand away we recognize that the problem was our perspective from where we were standing, something looked one way, but the reality of the fact was it was totally different than what we perceived it was. And that's what Haggai speaks to for the children of Judah, these, these remnant that have returned, and now they're, they're reengaged, they're rebuilding the temple as God had instructed them to do. They're being obedient. But about a month after they started rebuilding... Haggai shows up again with another word from the Lord. And as the first message was to address their misplaced priorities that we saw last week, this message is going to address their incorrect perspective. And I think if we'll allow God to speak to us, we will see how we share similar Perspectives that are incorrect. But before we get there, let's see what God's word has to say. Haggai chapter number two, beginning verse one. It says, in the seventh month. So the first message came in the sixth month on the first day, and then they obeyed on the 24th day. Now the seventh month on the 21st day of the month. So it's about a month from when they started building. Closer to two months from the first message, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Now, let me tell you something about the seventh month, which is interesting if we understand where that month falls in the Hebrew calendar. The seventh Hebrew month is a month called Tishri. You'll probably never use that again. It might be worthless information, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. The month of Tishri would, would kind of correspond with our month of October. In the month of Tishri, there are three Jewish feasts. The first is the Feast of, of Trumpets. It was, a, it, was a, it was a feast where they would blow the trumpet and, and it was a, 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 an agricultural type feast. But then following the feast of trumpets came the day of atonement. And in the month of Tishri, the day of atonement was where the high priest would bring two goats before the people, and we would sacrifice one for the sin of the people, and then he would place his hand on the other, and the sin of the people would also be transferred to this goat that would escape, or the scapegoat, and that one would be taken outside of the city. That whole sacrifice showing that our sin had to be paid for by blood, and when it was paid for by blood, it had to be taken away from the presence of God and the presence of the people so they would celebrate the day of atonement and then once the day of atonement was over they would celebrate the feast of tabernacles this all happened in the seventh month. It's kinda like the feeling we have when we go right from Thanksgiving to Christmas to New Year's and then we're done for a little while. So the Feast of Tabernacles was where they would actually set up little tents outside of their homes, somewhere in the city. They would kinda as a as a people, they would celebrate this feast as like a little camp out, if you will. So they would set up their, their place, their little booth outside their home, and they would get their little, you know, their fire and they would cook outside and, and that feast was to remind them of God's faithfulness to the people when they traveled in the wilderness because of their disobedience, but God took care of them in the wilderness, in their tents, and it's to remind them of God's faithfulness. And that's the month in which we are uh, hearing from Haggai, the seventh month. And one particular author said that this is probably coming on the last day of the feast of tabernacles so they're they're in a feast period they're celebrating they're remembering and it seems as though this might be the last day before they're off celebrating for a while and Haggai shows up here's what God said he said verse 2 speak now to Zerubbabel how many of you have used that word this week anybody I told y'all you need to use this fun word to say Zerubbabel say these things to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel the governor And to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people and say, same folks that heard the first message, same folks that are hearing the second message, the leaders and the people. Here's what God has to say. God's going to show them man's perspective or their perspective on what they're doing. What are they doing? They're rebuilding the temple. Why are they rebuilding the temple? Because it was destroyed by the Babylonians. Who built the temple to begin with? Solomon. And he had all kinds of workers. The whole nation was behind the building of the temple when Solomon did it. And now a remnant is charged with rebuilding what has been torn down. Here's what God does. He asks three questions. Question number one. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? So God asks a question. He says, I want you to ask the people. I have a message from the Lord. Here's what God wants to know. Question number one. Is there anyone here who remembers what the temple that used to stand here looks like? Now probably you're thinking like I am. Well, they've been gone for 70 years. I mean, surely that, there's nobody alive, but, but follow this timeline, okay? because when judah was taken captive they were first attacked and deported in the year 606 bc babylon came in destroyed uh, it, it, it took over jerusalem and judah and deported the best of the best y'all remember some fellas by the name of uh daniel and azariah and michael and i don't remember what the other guy's name was but in uh babylonian it's a But anyway so You remember those guys got taken away, 606 BC. So from 606 BC, start the clock, 70 years. Here's the thing. It was another 20 years before the temple was destroyed. So 586 is when the temple was destroyed. The first deportation went out in 606. Another two groups of people came out of Israel to Babylon, before they made their trek back in 538, which would only have been about a time of 66 years. All right, so how many of you are 66 or older? Raise your hand. All right, everybody look around. These are, these are the ones who deserve our respect and honor. These are our elders in the church. Now, let me ask you, those of you who are 66 or can you remember anything from your teenage and childhood years? Of course you can. Especially if you had ever gone to the Capitol and walked up into the Capitol on the 4th of July and remembered what it was like in the nation's capital on the 4th, you would certainly remember. So it's possible that there were some who had traveled back who had seen solomon's temple in all its glory and listen y'all it was glorious gold all around there was all kinds of ornamental stuff because he spared no expense on building this temple unfortunately the babylonians stripped it of all its gold and silver and precious stones and wonderful tapestries and all that and now it's just a big pile of rubble here's what god says for question number one How many of you remember what the temple looked like? And I'm sure if there were those in the crowd that remembered, their hands shot up. I was, Haggai, Mr. Haggai, I was there. I I just can't tell you how magnificent it was. And probably seeing that rubble, maybe his eyes were to well up. If you've ever been to the Capitol, you know that there's not, too many buildings in the world that look like it. And what if a warring army were to have destroyed our capital? And there we stand in Washington, D.C. at the end of that long mall and we look at the rubble. And somebody goes, does anybody even remember what this thing looked like? And we would go, I do. I've been in that thing and you would probably come real close to being overwhelmed with emotion. Now God's not picking on them and he's not trying to upset them and he's trying to make a point about their perspective. So he says, anybody here? And I'm sure he wouldn't have asked if there was nobody there that remembered. And then he said, question number two, still in verse number three, how do you see it now? What's it look like to you now? And I'm sure the discussion going around was this is never going to look like it did before. This is, we're never going to be able to bring this back to the way it was. We're just, okay, so we're 40,000. He had the whole nation on this building project. And here we are, not all of us are even builders. We're just volunteers because we wanted to come on. It's never gonna look like it, that's how I see it now. It's always gonna pale in the comparison. Then he asked the third question right in a row. Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Who's here that saw it the way it was? I am, I remember how it was. How's it look to you now? It it looks impossible. It's never going to be that way. Is it not like nothing in your eyes right now? And they're like, yeah, we're asking the question. We're going to be obedient, Lord. But really, why bother? Why bother with this? It's never going to be what it was. And not only that, and it doesn't state this in the text, but you know what the central furniture piece in the temple built by Solomon, was the Ark of the Covenant. And you know what? It's gone. And I'm sure in their mind they're thinking, what's the purpose? It's it's not ever going to look like it did. And God, I, yes, yes, it does look like nothing. And even what we get built, guess what's not going to have the Ark in it? So what's going to be the point? And I think with God's questions, he's, demonstrating to them their honest perspective. I think he's allowing them to just say it. This is how we see it. This is what we think. We don't get it. Man's perspective. You ever been there? Like you know what God says. You know what he says and you know what his word instructs and I've shared and folks have said what God's word says, but that doesn't make sense to me. And I don't see how that's going to be of any help whatsoever in my situation. That's just, that's not going to work out. I'm going to do that and it's not going to work. And and then I'm going to be worse off than I was. And from our perspective, that's how we see it. That may even be how we've experienced it in our life. But I think what God does is shows us gives us if you will an opportunity to say how we see it and how we feel and then he backs up and addresses what needs to be done without scolding us about how we feel here's what God says he says how many of you here saw it I did how's it look now it's terrible Is it not like you just want to say this is worth it yes okay I'm glad you said it verse number four God shows them man's perspective, and then he gives them divine instruction. All right, so I know you see it this way, but here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want to tell you, and some of you today are here. let's just be honest. All of us are here today with really good human vision with really good human perspective on what's going on in our life and around us. And here's what God says. When it comes to what I've called you to do, here's what he says. Yet now he gives three instructions. He says, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land Declares the Lord. What does God say? I know how you see it. I know this doesn't look worth our time. And I know you're thinking it's never going to matter like it mattered before. Here's what I want you to do Be strong, be strong, be strong. On Friday, was it Friday Cade that we played or Thursday? I forget. Anyway, it was Friday our little middle school boys team played a a much bigger team. And they came into the gym. Well, I say they they were in the gym. Our team came into the gym, saw them. They're much bigger. They've been playing together longer. Um, They they were just good. And, And we were missing about four, maybe five of our players. And I think it was 29 or 39 to nothing after the first quarter. Pretty close. And let me tell you something. Our boys, they were trying, but when the timeouts and the quarters ended, they came off the court like this right here. And they're looking at us like, well, now what, coach? We've done all we know to do. <laughs> what craziness you got up your sleeve? And bottom line is, is that as human coaches, we didn't have any craziness, we were just getting beat. But you know what, myself and the other, he's the head coach, and you know what we were saying to him the whole time? Look, stay in it. Stay in this. Do not let down. Do not slow up. Do not hang your head. We need to see chins up. We need to hear you talking. We want to see you to keep fighting. I don't care how many many points are on the board. Stay in it. You know what we were saying? Be strong. Be strong, be strong. But you know what we couldn't say? Because I'm going to infuse you with ability. We couldn't say that. All we could do was encourage. Hey, we believe in you. Stay strong, stay strong, stay strong. Be strong, leader. Be strong, leader. They're going to need you to be strong. There are leaders in the room right now. Leaders in this church, leaders in your home, leaders in your work, leaders in your community. You know what God's saying to you who know Jesus as your Savior, and you think it's pointless for me to keep trying to do this. It's not making any headway. He's saying, be strong, be strong, be strong, be strong, be strong. I know how you feel. I hear it. I see it. I know it. Be strong. And then he goes on with the second instruction that he gives. He says in the same verse, verse number four, work. Be, st- be strong, work. Now, we told the boys, hey, chins up. I mean, don't you let down. Don't, don't droop your shoulders. You get in there and be strong. And here's, but here's what I need you to do. I need you to run that play we've been practicing. I need you to remember that when you make that pass, you cut to the basket and look for the ball to come back. And when you get the ball, look for the cutter, make the pass, make good passes, don't just throw it up behind. I need you to work. I need you to do what you know to do, what you've been called to do. Look, I need you to be strong, chin up, head high, but I need you to do what we've brought you here to do, work. Now, I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit. Into verse number five, we're gonna go back. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna go back, Andy, to verse number four. But for right now, I want you. He says, "Work." Verse five. How? According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. <clears throat> I don't want you to go do your own thing. I don't want you to run an audible here. I don't want you to work at what you think needs to be done. I want you to work according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. What was that covenant? It it, it was a a covenant of promise. It was a covenant where as the people obeyed, God would bless, and if the people disobeyed, God would pull back his blessing. Now, last week, I made a statement to you, and I, and I, I meant that statement. That was, he made that promise to Israel that if they would obey him, he would bless them physically, financially, agriculturally, and I made it very clear that he made that promise to Israel and not to followers of Jesus in this time. But I left it right there, and this past week, for whatever foolish reason, I actually listened to my own sermon. Anybody ever listen to yourself on a recording? It is horrible, but I listened to it. And I heard myself say that and it just kind of left hanging. God has not promised you health and wealth and happiness. That is a false theology that will leave you frustrated as a follower of Jesus. He has not promised you earthly wealth, health in this life, and happiness at every turn. What he has promised you is all that comes with being in Christ and all that comes with having the Holy Spirit as your helper and eternal blessings that are stored up for you that cannot wax old or be stolen. But I don't want you to walk out of here thinking that that means that God won't bless you when he chooses to do so. Because God does bless his people. Trust me, everybody in the room knows that. And God is providential, You just can't think, well, I'm obeying God, so I don't understand why my bank account's not going up. I must not be obeying enough because that is false doctrine. That is not how God works. You can be walking with God closer than you ever have before and not have a clue where your next meal is coming from because it ain't about what is tangible today. It's about what's promised eternally. But I digress. He says, I want you to work according to the covenant that I made with you. Look, we got a purpose for this building. Remember, we built this building here because I instructed you to do it for a purpose. That purpose is still intact. Yeah, I know Babylon came and wiped it down. And I know you don't think it's ever going to be what it was. But my purpose for this has not changed. And I got some more purpose coming from behind it. So here's what I need you to do. Be strong, folks. Chins up. Don't let your face sag. And I need you to do what I called you to do according to the promises that I gave you. And what would those promises translate to in our life? According to what God has said to you and to me and how we are to respond obedient. We're to, we're to work according to what God has Said So I need you to be strong and I need you to work according to the, to the agreement that I made with you when we came out of Egypt. But then he comes and says what none of us can say on the sideline to our basketball team. We got to jump back to verse number four where he says, be strong, be strong, be strong, declares the Lord. Work, what's it say? For I am with you. me and coach jones were sitting on the sidelines cheering saying hey we're here we believe in you get out there and work but what god says is now i'm gonna be on the court out there with you now i want you to run that play and if i don't want that big number 24 to put his arm up in front of you guess what i'm gonna do pull his arm down shoot the ball boy now wouldn't that be awesome if we could do that? Wouldn't it be awesome as a, as as a coach, Jay? You know this. You're a coach. Wouldn't it be cool when your teams just getting well? Your teams never got routed, but when your teams get routed, when your teams get destroyed, wouldn't it be cool to say, "Look, I got time out, ref. I'm clocking in." And you got to sit there and we just go out there and and we just, on just on the offensive side, you know? Just, uh, y'all handle defense. I'm just going to stand down here. And when the boys come in, I reach out and I grab one of those little sweaty youngins in this arm and grab one of them and I just hold them like that and go, y'all shoot, it's layups right there. Wouldn't that be cool? (laughs) It doesn't work in our context, right? That'd be awesome. On the football field, how many times have I dreamed that I could go back and play high school football at my age with my knowledge. And I go, I mean, that's just, that's ridiculous, isn't it? It actually shows a a real insecurity in my life. But, (laughs) but how cool would that be, right? It's like, no, I know that I'm fat and slow, but give me the ball, let me run. I will run over those little children because that's what they are and that's where the dream stops and I should not be dreaming it. But that's what God does. God says, I'm going to be with you. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to put everybody's arm down, but it means I'm on the court with you. I'm in the struggle with you. I, when you can't understand what you're seeing, I'm there. You just do what I've told you to do according to what, to what I've said. You do that obediently and know that I am with you, declares the Lord. Any daddy's ever made a declaration in your house? I declare we will never eat at Steak and Shake ever again. And those of you who went to the DR know why. I promise you, I will go thirsty and hungry before I ever eat at another Steak and Shake. But God has declared, I am with you. Verse number five, he says, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Now, that was a pretty good deal to know that God's Spirit was remaining with them. Class, come on. Y'all know what the New Testament brings, don't you? With the death and resurrection of God the Son, no longer is God's Spirit limited to the. Mi- and I use that word limited very. Reverently, because I'm not limiting God. I'm just saying he limited himself and his spirit to be in their midst. So like on the basketball court, holding folks and letting them shoot. But with the advent of Jesus and his death and resurrection, those who by faith trust Christ, guess who comes to live with us and in us? None other but the Holy Spirit. Now that's like walking out on the basketball court and my son who is gonna be about five foot three maybe, but coming off to the side and me saying, hold on boy. And I reach over and I put my hand on him and just all of a sudden he grows to, to my height And my breadth, not my depth, but my breadth, right? And he can still, and so he goes out on that court, not as Cade, but as dad infused Cade. Now that's even better, right? And I'm still on the court with him. That's kind of, and I know, you go, that's a terrible theological. Hey, listen, I get it. But that's the idea. But to the Israelites, he said, I'm with you. Be strong, but we look, hey, be strong, chin up, get to work, but, but do the work that I gave you to do according to what I have said for you to do for the purpose I've given to you. And don't worry about it. I'm with you and my spirit will be in your midst. And so the last instruction he gives, it just makes sense. He says in the last part of verse five, fear not. I know how I've heard how you see it. I understand how you see it. I know what you think about it. The perspective that you have, I get it, but I'm doing something that you don't see like I see. So I need you to be strong. I need you to work according to what I've said, and I need you to say no to fear because you got nothing to fear. Yeah, but but God, it's good. I know I know all about them, I know about Him, I know about what they're saying. I get look, I just need you not to be afraid because of what I said. Yet God shows us our perspective and He says, I understand that's how you see it. I understand that's how it looks to you. But I need you to stay engaged with what I've said knowing that I'm with you. Now, this only applies to those who are followers of Jesus by faith. Don't come in here thinking, well, God's on the side of everybody who just does what the, does, tries to do right and live right. No, no, these are God's people that he's talking to, and I'm, I'm taking this message and I'm giving it to God's people who have by faith trusted Jesus and Jesus alone to forgive them of their sin and make them right with God through his death and resurrection. But just in case you showed up today and said, well, that doesn't apply to me. Can I give you some more exciting truth? It can apply to you if you'll just submit yourself to the God who loved you and gave himself for you. And he says, I need you to keep doing what I told you to do. And I need you to not worry about that. I don't have time to do it if you've got the app. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 4, and Exodus chapter 33, verse 14, God gives words to Moses and to Israel, and it sounds a whole lot like be strong. Be strong, I'm with you. And he turns around again and does it to Joshua in Joshua chapter one, verses five through nine. And he says, Joshua, I know Moses is dead. I know everybody thinks that there'll never be a Moses and there it won't, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to be strong and have courage because I'm with you and nobody's gonna be able to stand against you because I'm gonna be there to make sure what I've called you to do happens. You just keep walking forward behind me and don't you worry about anything else. He does it again through david to solomon when he's looking at him in first chronicles chapter number 28 verses 10 and 20 he says solomon god has chosen you to build this temple now do it do it with confidence that that's what god has called you to do and guess what he's gonna be with you so be strong and now think about what jesus said to christians well, to his disciples, first off in Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen and 20, he says, now, I'm going away, but I want you to go make disciples. And I want you to know this. I'm with you always. And he'd already told them, I'm going to send another comforter to be with you to provide that that is needed. So we see God's divine instructions that are to... overlay man's incorrect perspective how many times have we just stayed defeated because we look around us and the best we can tell things just aren't working out like we heard god say they would work out according to his word and so we're just gonna get discouraged and god says you can't do that you don't see like i see I think it was through the prophet Isaiah who said, Your ways aren't like my ways. My ways are higher than yours. You don't see it, you see it in part. I see it completely. And in the last part of these verses, he gives us a little glimpse into the bigger picture. Let's read these verses. We'll pick up in verse number six. So he moves from man's perspective to divine instruction. Now he's going to give us a little bit of his perspective. He says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Sounds like an earthquake motif. I'm going to move in the midst of my creation and it's going to be undeniable in a little while and i'll shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and i will fill this house with glory says the lord of hosts you say oh is he talking about jesus who's going to come maybe He certainly did come. And when Simeon, you remember the old man who prayed over the infant Jesus? He's like, Lord, you've shown me your glory in your house. And that was certainly true. But Jesus has not demonstrated his glory yet in the temple like he's going to. So that must be still into the future. So it's coming. And God says, I'm bringing all the treasures of the nations. And it's going to be all we need. He says in verse 8, if you've ever taken the crown financial course you memorize this verse when God says the silver is mine the gold is mine declares the Lord with God we don't have enough resources he's like I own all the resources it's all mine when I'm ready for them to show up they'll show up when I'm ready for the place to be uh, wrapped up in glory I'll do it for now I just need you to be strong and work and not be afraid but it's coming I want you to see what I see so that you can trust me beyond what you can see in the temporary. And then he says, the latter glory of this house, the glory that's going to come later, the latter glory shall be greater than the former. And let me tell you something. The former glory of the temple was talked about as far as folks had traveled in that time. The Queen of Sheba came to look at the temple Solomon had built, and she was blown away. If you've ever been, Rhett and I were talking about the Mercedes-Benz Stadium that he got to go to uh, for the Passion Conference. We talked about Jerry Jones's monstrosity out in Dallas. Where to Cowboys play. Look, those things are glorious, but you ain't never seen nothing like the glory that God's gonna display in the place where He allows His Son to set up His kingdom and rule. He's gonna be like, you just forget about anything you've ever enjoyed, because everything's a small world compared to what God's gonna do when He unveils His glory. The greater glory will come later. And in this place, I will give peace. Is there peace in Jerusalem right now? If you were to ask nine out of 10 Americans if there'll ever be peace in Jerusalem, what will they say? (laughs) Never. But we have an incorrect perspective. See, we only see what's around. God goes, look, what I'm going to do, is according to what I've said. You just be strong. You just keep working. You just don't be afraid because I am with you. God's perspective says it's not about what we see now. God's perspective says it's not about what we're doing, but about what he's doing and what he's going to do through us as we just obey. God's perspective says you can't look at what's in front of you through the lens of what's behind you, whether what's behind you is a good thing or a bad thing. You can't look at what's in front of you based on how good you think things were or how bad you think things are. You've got to look through his lens. You've got to see through his perspective, and there's no comparing what is now so what is to come when God's purposes are complete? So what do we do? We stay strong. We work. We don't let ourselves get wrapped up in fear. And that's really why we're here together today. To remi- Well, certainly to celebrate Christ and his death and resurrection, but we're here to remind one another that, hey brother, it ain't it ain't how you see it. Somebody tell me it ain't how I see it, because I'm seeing it, and I mean it just ain't looking good. It doesn't look like it's gonna work. Somebody need to tell me, and that's what we're here for—to remind one another. It's it's not how you see it. it. It's not our perspective. God's look. God's outside of what we're seeing and feeling and and, and experiencing we've got to be strong according to what god said we've got to keep going according to what god has said and we don't need to be afraid because god is with us and better than that god is in us if we know jesus as savior by faith alone in his death and resurrection that's good hey that's good news y'all that's good stuff So, what about a new testament application Well, we live in the New Testament times, So let me ask you this. Are you strengthened? Are you engaging and are you exercising or uh, refusing to fear in the church on the basis of your perspective or on the basis of his perspective? See, there's a lot of ways we could go on this. The first way is you could say, well, a successful church has got facilities and programs and money and all kinds of things and bells and whistles. You know what, there's not anything wrong with that, but that does not determine a successful church. Or we could look at a church and go, you know what, they don't have but just a few people and their music's not that great, and the preacher goes along every week, and you know, it's just we don't really think it's by the looks of things, it's not like they're gonna be moving and shaking anytime soon, but you know what, that doesn't mean that that's a a sick church either what 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 has God said to the church make disciples make disciples and from God's perspective we can go into church and go huh this ain't the way I'm used to it but are they making disciples according to the word that he said or you could go into a church that I mean is exploding and maybe it's a good one but you could look at it and go okay I'm seeing a lot of stuff but are we making disciples how are you perspective how how is your perspective on the church what's your perspective on your life are are you seeing your life on the basis of the mistakes that you've made and the and the and the junk that you have in your past or the or the inabilities that you think you don't have and all that kind of stuff are you seeing your life that way Well, that's an incorrect perspective. Why? Because what God has said is, no, I take you and then I'm gifting you with what you need. I give you what you need to obey me. And then I'm going to empower you to use the gifts that I gave you to do what I've called you to do. So it's not about what you bring to the table. You're not that great. I'm great. You're not that incapable. I'm capable. How do you see your life? Right perspective, wrong perspective. How do you see your place in the ministry? Oh, I'm just a little nobody. No, you're somebody with the promises that God has given to all of us to share with those around us. You have a role to play. So here are a couple, three verses that I want to share with you as you walk out today, all from 1 Corinthians. To address our incorrect perspectives, here we go. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Listen, obeying Christ is not vain labor, no matter how fruitless it looks to you. He says, be steadfast. Because your labor is not in vain. When you're obeying Christ, when you're obeying his word, you're submitting yourself to him, letting him operate in your life. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It's not vain labor. Keep pressing on. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Making disciples will require courageous faith be strong work at what i've given you to do according to what i've said to you and don't fear keep going be strong and then first corinthians 1 7 to 8 paul said so that you're lacking in uh, so you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our lord jesus christ who is to come who will sustain you to the end, Jesus is, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, the last, Jesus will disdain, sustain his disciples to the end. So what is God's call on our life? First one is, be strong. Let's say that together. What does God want for us to be? Be strong. What is God's instruction on our life, regardless of how we see it and feel? It's to to work according to what he said. So let's say that. He wants us to work according to what he has said. And then the last thing that he's called us to do, knowing that he is with us, and if you know Jesus by faith, he is in you. He wants us to fear not. Say that with me. Fear not. Well, those are all you got to do today. Just those three. Just be strong. Keep on active. And don't be afraid. And guess what? You're with folks who know that we struggle doing that. But we come around one another to encourage one another. To press on. Because it's not how we see it. It's how he said it. And that's what we're pressing toward. Amen? Let's stand together. We have some folks that are coming to the cross over to my right, your left. They're there to pray with you. They're there every week because they know that maybe God stirred your heart through what you've heard through his word. They want to be there to help you as you wrestle with those things. Or maybe you're carrying a burden that you go, man, I just wish I I had somebody to share this with that could just pray with me. Well, there they are, and that's what they're there for. Guys, I want to encourage you. Respond obediently, not to me. It's not about trying to do more for God. This is about just doing what he's called us to do. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, it's about submitting to him according to what he said about you and uh, the salvation that's been provided for you. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, that, uh, that we have everything we need in Christ. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we've got all the power that is necessary to accomplish what you've called us to do. Give us courage to be strong. Motivate us to allow your son's life to work out in ours according to what he has said. And then God, give us the uh, ability to say no to fear because you're with us. May that be true of Oasis Church. May that be true of each one of us. God, I pray that you will show us what needs to be dealt with today. We love you and we thank you. First, in Jesus' name we pray. All the of church say.